Hi everyone, I'm Gary Knoll. This is going to be an empowering hour. We're going to share insights and information on how to live a longer and healthier life. How to help you if you have some debilitating conditions like Alzheimer's disease. And how to understand the relationship between the choices you make and the outcomes that you deserve. Also today we're going to look at some of the the schemes behind what's happening in the larger world we live in. I'm going to take on a lot of issues today, and I don't know if I can get them all in, but as you'll see as we evolve the program, I'll be quoting some experts. I'll be quoting, for example, from of the Gray Zone uh, and his look at the current day may lie, how the United States government killed a lot of people a lot of innocent civilians, and covered it up. And yet they do this all the time. And we don't complain. There's nothing ever done because of it. Why is that? So we're going to explore these issues. If my voice is a little, um, little coarse today, it's because I did a long, all-day live webinar, extemporaneously. I was asked 20 essential questions. These questions are very important. I don't know if it'll be posted today, but hopefully later today we'll post the how to overcome um, loneliness, depression, anxiety, fear, insecurity, uncertainty, to live a more authentic life, a happier life, especially involving people who are out of work, who are homebound, who have gone through a really rough time. And there was a lot of people calling in and sharing their points of view. So it's very empowering. And my lectures are never just an hour or two hours, even three hours. So it's, it's worth it. And we'll post it on GaryNoll.com, hopefully later today. But we begin our program today with a study from Tel Aviv University, which of course is in Israel. A new, this brand new study, reveals that hyperbaric oxygen treatments may ameliorate symptoms experienced by patients with dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Of course, Alzheimer's is a, is a form of dementia. They're talking about how it's a revolutionary treatment for Alzheimer's disease. And, uh, and if you've never been in a hyperbaric, it's generally used for burns, wound healing, gangrene. Yet you never hear it used in hospitals for people with gangrene. But it could save amputations. It could save lives. It could save people who've had a stroke. So listen carefully, please. Because this happened twice to people who attended my health support groups. A gentleman from Connecticut who would attend the workshops but wouldn't always apply it. In fact, after one workshop, as I'm leaving, I walk up two blocks and there is a little, one of those little food carts on the, on the uh, street. And here he's gobbling down some meat on a bun. And when I walked by, I didn't stop him saying anything. You know, there was no purpose. And you know, he knew what he was doing. But this is what I deal with all the time. For some reason, there is a cognitive disconnect between how healthy do you want to be, could be, even in an idealistic way, I mean, really add years onto your life, prevent disease, live maximally healthy, and where most people start their journey, which is just listening to this radio show or someone else's radio show or reading a book on health. That's good. But what do you do with it? You have to, and I talked about this yesterday. This is one of the important questions. What life? Emotional balance, spiritual balance, intellectual balance, creative balance, physical balance, the friendship balance, where you really spend quality time with friends instead of taking it for granted and not giving yourself the opportunity to live in balance. Health is balance. In any case, um, he asked me in another class, because he saw me, so I saw you walk by me and I, you know, I, I felt embarrassed. I said, well, look, these are the choices we make in life. The assumption is that if we make the wrong choice today, if we go out and drink, if we go out and eat a really bad meal, if we go for weeks without exercising, if we sit all day, there's a price to pay. It just won't necessarily be tomorrow. 
And as I said, nobody eats a hamburger today, their only hamburger, and dies of clogged arteries tomorrow. Or smokes a cigarette and gets cancer of the lungs tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. Everything's an accumulation. But it works in both ways. Positively accumulate, negatively accumulate. The trouble is, when it's negatively accumulating, what we do in the EPA, the larger environment which we live, we also adapt to people in there. Frequently, we have no choice. It's one of those circumstances we can't always avoid, especially when you're younger and you don't have finances. You can't go anywhere. So you, if you're in an abusive or neglectful environment, you absorb the energy because you cannot process it intellectually. You feel it viscerally. It hits your primal being. You know, you feel rejected. You feel abandoned. You feel something's wrong with you. What am I doing wrong? That no one is showing me any love. In any case, later as an adult, we just manifest the same energy because it's still locked into all of ourselves. Everything you've ever said, heard, experienced, done in your life, for all of your life, will be locked in every cell. And hence, we respond what is called the EPA, genetics, meaning our genes are now programmed to react based upon the positive or negative, constructive or destructive, happy or sad, appropriate, inappropriate behavior that we were exposed to by other people. And they become our teachers. What if they're a bad teacher? What if it's a wrong lesson? What if it's a lesson we shouldn't learn? It's still in us. That doesn't mean we automatically re revert to it. It means that we can go to neutral for a moment and say, what is the likely outcome if I say this, do that? What if I chose not to take that approach, but take a different approach? Our parents told us this. Your mothers, your fathers, your grandparents told you, Count to ten, take deep breaths before you do something stupid. So here he is, and he comes up to me and he says, <clears throat> I'm going to try harder to be more disciplined. I want the benefit. Look, I come from Connecticut down this class every week. I don't want to have wasted all this time and energy and not apply it. It's okay. He said, but just as a backup, what should happen if I should get sick? I said, well, have a plan B, a fallback position. So he wrote out, unbeknownst to me, uh, a card. And on the card, he put, if I should have a stroke or heart attack, outside of the immediate saving my life, call Dr. Gary Nall, because I'm giving him power of attorney, though he never gave me power of attorney. <laughs> he just wrote this down like someone's going to pay attention to it, right? And uh, and lo and behold, about six months later, I get a call from a doctor saying, he says here he's had a stroke, and I ask, okay, what's, his, what's the prognosis? What's happening? What are you doing? And they were just doing standard things, which can save lives, and which I support. But I said, he really should be receiving hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Why? because it shows that it can stop the damage from a stroke. In fact, it can actually reverse much of the damage of a stroke for up to several years after a stroke. Well, he said, do you have any proof of this? So I sent him up a bunch of studies, and I gave him the list of nine physicians. Their phone numbers, all board certified, respected backgrounds. I said, speak directly with these other clinicians. I work with him, they'll tell you it works. He did. He got hyperbaric, and it stopped the destruction of the stroke, because once you have a stroke, it just continues to kill neurons. The inflammation, this, the cytokine storm is phenomenal. So it stops that. So oxygen is so important to life. The ambient air is about 21%. But when you put on a mask, it can go down to 17% you're then engaged in oxygen deprivation. If you're not breathing right, you end up with what is called oxygen debt, meaning there's not enough oxygen coming in to supply all the cells with the oxygen necessary for ATP or adenosine triphosphate to create energy inside the cell. And hence, as a coach for my entire adult life, tens of thousands of people I've taught to race, walk, and run, then, oh my goodness, 32,000 people have done marathons that we've trained with in Central Park, still training people too. 
And uh, the first thing you learn is half of all athleticism is breathing. Breathe deep, diaphragmatic. Get the air deeper into your lungs. And most of the time we breathe shallow. And when you're sitting and your neck is forward, you're not breathing deep. And a lot of people just nose breathe. And uh, one of the fallacies of yoga is just breathe through your nose. That's only about 15%. 85% comes through the mouth. So be breathing rhythmically, deeply, a little force on the exhale to get the extra carbon dioxide out, get that exchange of oxygen in, carbon dioxide out. Suddenly, you've got oxygenated blood, and you're going to have an easier time doing whatever you do. But it's also true in just walking, just living. So hyperbaric. If I could recommend a hyperbaric for every person to use, um, especially those over the age of 40 or who have heart disease, cancer in particular, you read the work of Dr. Otto Warburg, who won two Nobel Prizes in physiology. He showed that cancer does not thrive in a high oxygen medium, but does in a more fermentative medium. So when you're not breathing deeply and you're not taking in oxygenating foods like juices and, uh, and nutrients like vitamin E, vitamin C, and trimethylglycine, that it allows the cancer an opportunity to spread. So definitely, hyperbaric has a lot of uses beyond what it's been used for. But in this particular Tel Aviv University study, they showed that it can help ameliorate the symptoms experienced by patients with Alzheimer's disease. There's a professor, Yuri Ashry, of the uh, Sago School of Neuroscience and the Faculty of Life Sciences, who led the research study. And he says that now, for the first time, that hyperbaric oxygen therapy can actually improve the pathology of Alzheimer's disease and correct behavioral deficits associated with the disease. That's good news. I mean, everyone in this audience knows someone who can benefit from that. But something else everyone can benefit from is coenzyme Q10. Scientists discovered that coenzyme Q10 can program cancer cells to self-destruct. Let me repeat that. This is really important. If you take coenzyme Q10, ubiquinone, every day, twice a day in my opinion, you can get the cancer in your body to kill itself. The promising study shows that this nutrient causes cancer cells self-destruction before they can multiply, giving rise to hopes that it can be utilized as an important integrative therapy for cancer patients. So I think that's terrific. And what happens is that uh, if you look at ubiquinone, U-B-I-Q-U-I-N-O-N-E, it, uh, coenzyme Q10 is mainly found in every human cell of the body with particular concentrations in the mitochondria, mito, M-I-T-O, chondria, C-H-O-N-D-R-I-A. Those are the powerhouse of your cell. And researchers report that the out-of-control replication characteristic of cancer cells is a result of the cell's lost capacity to respond to programmed cell death or apoptosis. So, coenzyme Q10, part of your anti-cancer treatment also. A study suggests that hot flashes can be a precursor for diabetes. The analysis of Women's Health Initiative data demonstrates the effect of severity and duration of the hot flashes on the risk of developing diabetes. Now, this is from the North American Menopause Society. Hot flashes undoubtedly the most common symptom of menopause, are not just uncomfortable and inconvenient, but numerous studies demonstrate they may increase the risk of serious health problems, including heart disease. A new study suggests that hot flashes, especially when accompanied by night sweats, also may increase the risk of developing diabetes. The results are, are being published online in Menopause, the Journal of the North American Menopause Society. So what to do about it? We'll go on an anti-diabetic protocol. Avoid all alcohol. Stop smoking. Get a good night's sleep. Exercise every day, ideally twice a day. Eat a healthy plant-based diet. 
and also for symptomatic women, natural hormone rebalancing therapy. Don Kwai, the most commonly used herb in the world, ginseng, photai, vitex. These are all important for reducing risk of hot flashes, but also help you with and make sure you get chromium every day also. Stay away from the high glycemic foods, the sugar foods, refined carbohydrates. Have your protein from beans, legumes, and pulses, and nuts, and seeds. Garlic extract can help obese adults combat inflammation. University of Florida. Now, we're talking here about a garlic liquid. It comes in a little bottle. Many different companies bring it out. It's not expensive. Ten bucks or so. And I take it every day. In fact, yesterday, I took a combination after my talking nonstop. And I wasn't using a microphone, so I was standing behind me about eight feet and had to talk loud enough so that the microphone that's in the camera that you're watching right now could uh, be heard. <clears throat> but I took one tablespoon of garlic liquid. I also took some bee propolis. I took one uh, little dropper full of 20 drops of colloidal silver, quarter teaspoon of manuka honey, juice from one lemon, stirred that together, drank it down. No inflammation. A little hoarseness, but no inflammation. You can consider that for a lot of different throat and mouth irritations, inflammatory responses, because look, a lot of germs come in the body through the na nasal area, the eyes, and the mouth. But we touch our mouth over 200 plus times a day. And we don't think we touch a doorknob. You know, you, you flush a toilet that you've just wiped with, and you can bet there's feces on your hands. So now when you touch the toilet, you're adding to that. Then you go over and turn on the water. Now it's the feces on the, on the faucets. So just be conscious of these things and just have a, always have a bottle of hydrogen peroxide or alcohol in a spray bottle. Have some extra tissue. So everything you touch, just alcohol it down and rub. And when rubbing your hands, just make sure that you do it for about 20 seconds. Really break open the bacteria, parasitic, or viral uh, contaminants that are on your hands. Also, keep your fingernails close and clean them. A nail brush. Because there's lots of bacteria under the nails otherwise. Including feces. You could have a ton of feces from, you know, a week's worth of going to the bathroom under your fingernails. But then you touch your eyes, touch your nose, touch your mouth. You're reinfecting yourself. Rebound infections are common that way. Cough. Um, you've seen people do that. Cough in their hand and rub their hand together like somehow it's disappeared. Oh, good. Here goes the bacteria. From, no. No. Wash your hands. All right? Anyhow, the aged garlic is in the extract can help people ward off painful inflammation and lower your cholesterol level. That's according to the University of Florida study. And it's especially beneficial for people who are overweight or obese. It can help reduce the bad LDL cholesterol and also modulate cholesterol. It also is good for helping the secretion of inflammatory proteins from immune cells. Also, <clears throat> women um, who have children end up having telomeres. Interesting. Uh, the, let me repeat that so it makes more sense. Having children can make women's telomeres 11 years older. This is George Mason University. A recent study from George Mason University researchers in the Department of Global and Community Health found that women who have given birth have shorter telomeres compared to women who have not given birth. Now, why is this important? Because telomeres, T-E-L-O-M-E-R-E-S, telomeres, are the end caps of DNA on our chromosomes, which help in the DNA replication 
and get shorter over time. You don't want that. That's a bad thing. The shorter the telomeres, the closer to death you are. The more things you do right, like exercising, de-stressing, yoga, meditation, healthy eating, not getting angry about everything, not getting rageful, all of that lengthens the telomeres. So the length of the telomeres is directly associated with morbidity and mortality. And this is the first study to examine the links with having children. So what it means is that one of the reasons, just one of the reasons that historically women who had large families frequently died younger is because now we know every birth the telomeres were shortening. Now, since historically nobody lived in a, a world that was as knowledgeable as we are today about the consequences of cause and effect, it was understandable for uh, people to have large families because we didn't have Social Security. We didn't have pensions. You know, your family would take care of you. You, you never stopped being a part of that family support system. And that was a good thing <clears throat> because it allowed people in other cultures to teach us lessons. The Chinese, the Indian cultures had large families. And then the oldest son and then the daughters were to take charge as the parents could no longer be the, the people doing all the work, making all the decisions. So there was generation after generation after generation taking care of people. Think of how important that is to know that no matter how old you are, we're frail, we're sick. You'll always be surrounded by loved ones who care for you, who will sacrifice for you. One of the questions that came up yesterday was from a person who said that because of COVID, they have been very lonely. They're not an extrovert and outgoing to begin with, and most people are not. So it was particularly uh, challenging what to do. You know, a person old enough, they don't want to waste time with these social chats that are meaningless on the internet, and they don't want to watch television, which is almost always negative news or fake, you know, overly dramatic um, reality shows. So they read a lot. And, uh, but they said that there was a time in life where they saw the older people in their families always the center of everything. Okay, so let's just say that all of us grew up where we had probably larger families, and uh, at least up till our parents' generation. But the my my parents and your parents' parents and their parents probably had a larger family, and this is because of that that idea that you wanted to be in a community environment, a family environment, where people took care of each other. I remember one of the first lessons I learned about uh, uh, the Italian Americans, and hence the Italians, because we, my family had very close friends who were Italian, and uh, the Liotis, Versatis, and they had large families. And I was talking one day with them, and I said, why do you have so many people in your family? They said, because my father and mother came from Italy, and there you took care of each other, and then you took care of your neighbors, and everybody took care of everybody else. Everybody cared. So if a kid was walking down the street, all the eyes were on the kid. Um, they were talking across from each other, even down in Little Italy. I'm sure if you've gone to Italy, it's a wonderful experience just to see the culture. You'd see, at least when I was down there in the 1970s, <clears throat> and going to some of the Italian restaurants, just enjoying the neighborhood, because you could walk from Little Italy to Chinatown to the Indian place up in the Japanese area and the Korean areas. They were all in the same walking area. And there would be a pillow on a windowsill, and, you know, a, a woman sitting there on uh, resting her elbows, talking with all these other people all over the place. There was just one. It's like something out of uh, a West Side Story, that, that kind of community. But all the eyes were on everything. And if anything didn't look right, immediately there'd be a reaction. And then I was told that this is the way it was where they grew up. Everyone knew everyone. 
And if someone was having a hard time, other people joined in. In fact, that was one of the lessons my mother taught me. She taught me a lot of lessons. She didn't, she didn't go to college. I was the first one to go to college. My entire family's history on both sides. And uh, she taught me, I, I was in her office once uh, at the First Christian Church, which is a Baptist church. And there was just the, the, uh, the minister and her. And she handled all the, the things that needed to get handled as far as people. It was a 500 congregation, more or less. And I saw her talking with a plumber. And she had a list of people. He was there in the office. I'm, I'm a teenager at that point. And she's saying, now you go here, 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 and here. And here's what they say is wrong with their plumbing. And he says, all right, I'll take all this equipment. And she said, I don't need to remind you that these are our friends. We don't accept money, even if they want to pay you something as a token. The answer is no. Yes, I understand. So I asked Mom, I said, what was that all about? She said, well, she said, if you have to be reminded or told that there's a problem that you should be self-aware of, then it's too late. And she said, people in a congregation talk. And she said, when I find out that someone's having a hard time and doesn't have the money and can't buy food, and I saw this because uh, I used to do the running for my mom on Saturdays. There was a, I'm sure you all had the same thing in your neighborhood, little little boutique stores like there was a butcher, right? And, and he knew exactly what you wanted and how thick the steak was and what kind of cut where on the animal, whether it was the cheap oxtail or the, you know, the big time the sirloin. And I don't think anyone in my town had family me on. But then there was also <clears throat> the baker and uh, the uh, ice cream store, etc. And so she would give me a list, and I'd go up to the butcher, and he would make the cuts and write a name on them, and then I would take them to those people. I'd just go up, ring on the bell, and say, this is for Mr. Hendrick. And they said, thank you. That was it. So nobody was left behind. And you see this in cultures all over the world. You'll see this in Jamaica and Trinidad. You see it in the tropics. It's absolutely common. People look after each other. The whole community looks after you and looks after your kids. That sense of community and family is very important. In fact, of all the travels I've done, in fact, at the beginning of my scientific career, I just felt that we weren't getting the true information on why people are not living longer lives. So I took a five, it took me five years going out and coming back, going out and coming back as I could afford to travel someplace. And whether it was the, the jungles of Brazil or um, you know, Barbados or Trinidad or, or Italy or Spain or the country in Ireland, the one thing I found, and even working with the emirs children in Hunzakat, Hunza, James Conrad's Lost Horizon. Who was it? Bob Coleman, Malloy, starred in it. Well, that was a real place. Now, it's not necessary that it was as real as the screenplay, but it, it was real. I mean, I, I saw photographs, I saw a video of men over a hundred playing horse polo. I saw, I saw things that we have never seen before. This, these were the oldest living people on earth as a population. They were about somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, at that time, around 12,000. They were lived above 8,000 feet. And they came to see me because they wanted to get their message out about Pakistan and China wanted to build a road right through their country. And they knew if that happened, they'd be bringing diseases to the people. And the people, kind of interesting, one guy had blue eyes and blondish hair. They were all descendants of Alexander the Great's uh, army that had fled and hid up into the mountains. They didn't want to fight anymore. In any case, I worked with family, so I got to know all about their habits, the long fasting in the spring before the new crop came in. 
They would have some stored foods, but they would make a healthy shake in the morning. They would put in the apricots and the different berries and some whole grains and nuts and seeds and, and goat's milk. And that's what they would start their day with. And they lived long lives. They just didn't have the disease. By the way, they had no jails either because nobody broke the law. Because you had to live together. You were taught principles of morality, ethics, decency, caring for others. And we still have that in areas of our country, just not as what it was. was. And unfortunately, I don't believe that some, not all of the younger people today, are getting that lesson how important a family is and learning the lessons that make sense. Not all lessons make sense. We get a combination of constructive and destructive thoughts. But my trip around the world, when I figured everything out, everything from the biochemistry and the cells and, and uh, inorganic and organic and chemistries, physiology, anatomy, what makes this body function in health or disease? Why does one person live to be 60, another person 90? Why? And so I made up a chart of all the things that I got feedback just listening, asking questions and listening. We learn when we listen and know the right question to ask. And the foundation upon all longevity I found was happiness. Happiness is the single most important nutrient, the single most important factor into a long life. Happy people rarely get cancer. Now, you can fake being happy. You can put on a good image to the public or those around you, but authentic happiness and joy and laughter, and frequently that comes from the quality of your relationships, the people, your support system, people who care for you and you for them. And so, learn this lesson that if you see something that needs attending, attend it. If you can assume with proper reason and reduction and logic that someone may not be telling you they have a problem, but they do, ask about it. Get ahead of it. Let's not find out that someone could have used our help, but we didn't think enough to ask them. And there's a segment, not everyone, a segment. How much, I cannot tell you. We do not know. If I were to guess, I would guess around maybe 10 to 15% of the American population is disconnected from that caring about others. The empathetic understanding that we all come from a spiritual base. It's not about our, it's not about our ethnicity, even our culture. It's about where our life source comes from. So care about that. And this is what they're showing at this recent George Mason University Department of Global Community Health. So when women had large families, they were actually shortening their telomeres. Now, this is a long way of getting to the point, but it's a point that with each part is it's connected. And that is this. If you're going to have a lot of family, fine. But understand you have to compensate now. You have to do the things that have the telomeres lengthen. So you have a child? Okay. Now, lengthen the telomeres. There's a whole protocol. I can't give it today because it's an hour long. I might just do a whole webinar on it in the near future. I am going to do a webinar on one thing. I got a lot of, um, after the lecture yesterday, I got a lot of comments about my hair. My, my hair today, I just got out of the shower and blow it back, but it was very full. And, uh, and people say, well, how is it you have, you know, such healthy, thick, long hair? And I said, because for the last year, I've been working on a new protocol. It's taken a year. And now I've got three friends who are balding, thinning, and gray working on the same protocol. So I'm just about ready to share that protocol. And it'll probably take about two hours to do. So I'll, I'll decide when it's all done and I can prove from clinical study that it works, then I'll share it with everyone. That's how I do all my research. I might take me years to find the truth, but then when I find it, I'll share it. 
So we've got a lot of interesting webinars coming up, including how to have healthier skin, wrinkle-free skin, without cosmetic surgery or Botox or any of these other things. You know, have healthier nails, pink and hard toenails and fingernails, no funguses, no cracks, no ridging, flecking, to make it nice. So, anyhow, I will share some insights about how to lengthen the, the telomeres so that those who have had a larger family won't then automatically have those telomeres shortened to where they, that system in the body dies. Because telomeres are in every single system. So your heart telomeres may go fast, in which case your rest of your body is fine. It could live another 20 years, but your heart's not. So how do we strengthen the telomeres in our heart, our brain, our eyes, our lungs, our muscle? I'll get to all that. But I've taken a lot of time now with all this. And one other thing, scientists uncover why sauna bathing is good for your health. University of East, Eastern Finland. So over the past couple of years, scientists at the University of East Finland have shown that sauna bathing is associated with a variety of health benefits. Using an experimental setting this time, the researchers um, grouped uh, all the elements together and found out that heat exposure of the sauna will definitely increase the detoxification process, meaning you're sweating and therefore you're getting toxins out of the body. It can also reduce your blood pressure for just 30 minutes in a sauna. And it can increase your vascular compliance while also increasing heart rate uh, similarly to medium intense exercise. That's the new better heart rate. That's good. Better blood pressure. That's excellent. Detoxification. Good. So make sure you're getting at least one sauna per week. Now, we're out of information for this moment because I'm running out of time. I have to get to other things as well today. Uh, on health and healing, but I want to I want to share a few thoughts, one of them before we go to a break. This is from Dr. Elizabeth Lee uh, Violet, MD, and Dr. Ali Schultz, and they are from the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. I'm going to quote them, or the, the essence of what they were saying. They're saying that once you get in... Once you're admitted to a hospital, and that's a hospital where you're trusting everyone, you're trusting that the bed frame that you're going to be in was bleached or in some way disinfected so you don't pick up someone else's bacteria and end up with MRSA, which over 25,000 Americans die each year from that. And uh, the doctors are going to be properly sanitizing their hands before they operate. The medication they're giving you are the right medications the nurses are going to attend to you and make sure that the doctors have not done something incorrectly because a lot of doctors make mistakes that the nurses catch. That's one of the good things about all the nurses. They're very aware of right and wrong procedures, over-medicating, keeping people on a protocol that's not working too long, instead of shifting protocols. They attend to this. Also, they're the human element that comes together with the patient. Well, it's all changing now based upon COVID. And what they're saying, in essence, is that if you're an American patient, not all, but many, with COVID-19, you can become a virtual prisoner, which means in the hospital you're subjected to a rigid treatment protocol with roots emanating from a person that should have been challenged, my goodness, in debates, on Obamacare, he was so wrong. That's Ezekiel Emmanuel, Ron Emanuel's brother. And uh, he was the top person on Obamacare. And uh, it's called the Complete Lives System. What is that? It means it's rationing medical care in those over the age of 50. They have a shockingly high death rate. How and why is this happening? And what can be done about it? As exposed in audio recordings, this isn't hearsay, this isn't speculation, this isn't conspiracy, there's proof. Look at the hospital executives in Arizona admitting meeting several times a week to lower standards of care with coordinated restrictions on visitation rights. Most COVID-19 patients, families are deliberately kept in the dark about what is really going 
to be done to their loved ones. The combination that enables this tragic and avoidable loss of human lives, hundreds of thousands of lives, included the CARES Act, which provides hospitals with bonus incentive payments for all things related to COVID. That means testing, diagnosing, admitting to hospital, use of remdesivir, a drug that should not be used, that has killed countless people by, by the studies, ventilators inappropriately used, the reporting on or non-reporting on COVID deaths from vaccinations, and waivers of, of customary and long-standing patient rights by the Center for Medicine, Medicare and Medical Services, the CMS. All that's going on. None of it's being exposed by the mainstream media. In 2020, the Texas Hospital Association submitted requests for waivers to CMS. According to Texas Attorney General, what's his name, Jerry Ward, has granted waivers of federal law regarding patients' rights. Specifically, the CMS uh, purports to allow hospitals to violate the rights of patients or their surrogates with regard to medical record access, to have patient visitation, and to be free from seclusion. And uh, so they're saying rights do not come from the hospital or CMS and cannot be waived, as that is the antithesis of a right. The purported waivers are meant to isolate and gain total control over the patient and to deny patient and and uh, decision-makers the ability to exercise informed consent. And that is wrong. And uh, so you, if you stripped away all of what should be the treatment of a patient going in, which test should be done, and how do you validate their legitimacy, that's what's not being done. And we've seen the results. We've seen the exposés of We've played them on the air here. You know, the doctors and nurses coming forward saying, nobody's nobody's writing down how many people are dying or being um, injured by the vaccines. And when I tried to do it, I was threatened with being fired. That's all over the country. I know because Luann, um, who's been a practicing nurse for 45 years with specializations, and she headed, she was the chief nurse nurse administrator at Long Island Jewish Hospital for 18 years. She gets calls from nurses all over the country saying that it's just a crime against humanity what she's seeing going on in hospitals. And think of all the brave doctors. Think of the doctors who say, we're succeeding. Our patients are not dying at the same rate as other patients because we're treating them with FDA-approved drugs at the very beginning of symptoms at home. We're giving them, there's 22 different drugs. There was just a new drug that was discovered <clears throat> to work. It was an antidepressant and lowers the uh, death rate substantially. That's good, all right? And then they are also using vitamin C, zinc, um, quercetin, um, vitamin E, etc. vitamin D3. So they're saving lives. H how can you argue the clinical experience, which, by the way, is FDA uh, not just allowed it's insisted. You don't base something just on a clinical study. You have to also look at the body of clinical experience, meaning what does the individual doctor have to say being in the front lines treating patients from day one right through to, you know, ICU care. And yet all that has been scrubbed. None of it allowed. Social media has been complicit working with the deep state in the pharmaceutical industry, in the media, working with both, so that you would never know that millions of people had been positively affected because they were taught what to do to prevent, to lessen comorbidities, impact, and to be treated right through. And the studies there, I've shared the studies, I've posted the studies, hundreds and hundreds of studies, thousands and thousands of scientists, hundreds of thousands of patients, and yet you would never know any of that exists. You were told, none of that exists. None of that is real. Okay, it is real. It does exist. Now, <clears throat> I only have 10 minutes to go. So I'm going to spend the last 10 minutes 
we're not even going to take a break. And now I want to share some insights with you based upon the doctors and scientists coming together in Rome and throughout the world by Zoom to have their new Rome proclamation. What is this? Why should you find this important? Because Dr. Malone was one of the individuals who was the scientist discovering the technology to be used in the current RNA vaccines. He is a professor. He has a medical background. He's treated a lot of patients. He's published lots of articles in peer-reviewed journals. He has consulted with the FDA and the World Health Organization. So he's, he's an insider's insider. And yet when he found some of the statements being made by Fauci and the CDC concerning the safety and efficacy uh, and the testing and the mortality rates around COVID, he found that they were inaccurate. So he talked about it. And for that, telling the truth, they descended on him. And he was really surprised that, that they would not have an open dialogue or debate. And so now he and so many others who were attacked with impeccable careers, no controversy, mainstream people uh, from Yale, from Harvard, from Oxford, Stanford, these were the best and brightest. They're joining together. And now they're bringing forth studies and commentaries to show that almost everything you've been told was incorrect. And as a result, deadly. And they're also challenging their motives. When good treatment could have saved lives early on, why was it denied completely? Even right now, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, if you're, you're told by the state medical boards you use it, you'll lose your license. <clears throat> Let's hear what he has to say. So I share with you a physician's declaration developed by physicians in Puerto Rico that met together last week. And... Uh, I ask that you consider joining us in this declaration. We would very much appreciate support from the world and particularly from physicians. So I'm going to read this declaration of the COVID Summit in Rome, Italy. We, the physicians of the world, united and loyal to the Hippocratic Oath, recognizing the profession of medicine as we know it, is at a crossroad are compelled to declare the following. Whereas it is our utmost responsibility and duty to uphold and restore the dignity, integrity, art, and science of medicine. Whereas there is an unprecedented assault on our ability to care for our patients. Whereas public policy has chosen to ignore fundamental concepts of science, health, and wellness, instead embracing a one-size-fits-all treatment strategy which has led to more illness and death than the individualized, personalized approach to healthcare. Whereas, physicians and other healthcare providers working at the front lines, including those here, utilizing their knowledge of epidemiology, pathophysiology, and pharmacology, are often first to identify new, potentially life-saving treatments. Whereas, Physicians are increasingly being discouraged from engaging in open professional discourse and the exchange of ideas about new and emerging diseases, not only endangering the essence of the medical profession, but more importantly, more tragically, the lives of our patients, you in the audience that are listening. Whereas thousands of physicians are being denied the right to provide treatment to their patients as a result of barriers put up by pharmacies, hospitals, and public health agencies, rendering the vast majority of healthcare providers helpless to protect their patients in the face of disease. Physicians are now advising their patients to simply go home, allowing the virus to incubate and the disease develop, and to return when their disease worsens, resulting in hundreds of thousands of unnecessary patient deaths due to failure to treat. Whereas the above is not medicine, it is not care. We cannot sit idle while patients are forced to go home and sicken in place. These policies may actually constitute crimes against humanity. Now, therefore, 
it is resolved that the physician-patient relationship must be restored. The very heart of medicine is this relationship, which allows physicians to best understand their patients and their illness, to formulate treatments that give the best chance of success while the patient is an active participant in their care. Resolved that the political intrusion into the practice of medicine and the physician-patient relationship must end. Physicians and all healthcare providers must have the freedom to practice the art and science of medicine without fear of retribution, censorship, slander, or disciplinary action to include possible loss of licensure and hospital privileges, loss of insurance contracts, and interference from government entities and organizations, which further prevent us from caring for patients in need. More than ever, the right and ability to exchange objective scientific findings, which further our understanding of disease, must be protected. Resolved that physicians must defend their right to prescribe treatment, observing the first tenet, new no harm. Physicians shall not be restricted from prescribing safe and effective treatments. These restrictions continue to cause unnecessary sickness and death. The rights of patients, after being fully informed about the risks and benefits of each option, must be restored to receive those treatments. Resolved that we invite physicians of the world and all healthcare providers to join us in this noble cause as we endeavor to restore trust, integrity, and professionalism to the practice of medicine. Resolved that we invite the scientists of the world who are skilled in biomedical research and uphold the highest ethical and moral standards to insist on their ability to conduct and publish objective, empirical research without fear of reprisal upon their careers, reputations, and livelihoods. Finally, resolved that we invite you, the patients, who believe in the importance of the physician-patient relationship and the ability to be active participants in their care, to demand access to science-based medical care. In witness thereof, the undersigned has signed this declaration as of the date first written. We invite all of you, physicians, scientists, patients, to join us in this resolution to protect the integrity of medical by the way, I'm looking, I'm going to be hiring, and uh, I'm even going to hire someone to come for uh, two months. I'm going to be doing a new landscaping project in, and, uh, at, the, at the animal sanctuary here. Beautiful place. Yeah, you got to be physical, but you got to be strong, got to be working, got to get your hands in the dirt. I'm going to be doing it. It's just that there's no one around here I can hire because nobody's, nobody's working. I, at, you know, nobody's making themselves available to work. I've been looking. So I don't have time to do all I'm doing and that at the same time. Um, but I'm also putting together a hydroponic house. I'm going to photograph each stage so I can share that with you in case you want to do it as well. So if you want to join me with that, go to prnstudio uh, at gmail.com, prnstudio at gmail.com. I'm also hiring an office manager, a project, special project coordinator, because i got a lot of projects, positive projects coming starting in January. Um, so those, and an internet marketing person. So any one of those three positions, if you're qualified, send your resume to prnstudio at gmail.com. That's our program for today. Sorry about my hoarse voice. Look forward to sharing more tomorrow. Have a nice day.